If you would please open to 2 Timothy chapter 2, we will pick back up where we left off in, on verse 15, and we will take the rest of the chapter, Lord willing. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of information in these few verses, and it will be a challenge, but I pray that uh, it will flow very quickly, and we will do it within the uh two and a half hour time frame that I've slotted for it. So, uh, so hold on, here we go. And I uh, hope you went to uh, the little boys and girls room before we got started. So it's always encouraging. If you've been here a few times, you know you should probably, that would be your last stop before you come in here. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 through 26. So we see here in 2 Timothy, God's grace. Don't forget about God's grace, which strengthens us and enables us to be able to be faithful, as we've seen so far, faithful teachers or stewards of the, of the gospel that he's given us to share. He's also, by his grace, is able to, for us to be good soldiers, we saw in verses 3 and 4. Teachers was in verse 2, soldiers was in verse 3 and 4. Also, by his grace, we could be good athletes, and that was in verse 5. Like a good athlete, be consistent and persistent with the training and the hard work and the sweat and the tears of doing well in a race, and maybe sometimes falling down and having to get back up. We also saw that by God's grace that we're able to be good farmers in verse 6. A farmer who patiently waits after he's done all of his work and then sits and waits and hopes that there will be fruit from the labor that he has put in for so much time. We saw that the world looks at us as believers as evildoers. We saw that, that because we see the world sees us as evildoers, but God sees us as elect. And we were willing to live and die for Jesus Christ. And we saw that in verses 6 through 13 last week. That we're willing, because of our relationship, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we're willing to live and die for Jesus Christ. Everyone else in the world outside of being a child of God looks at as being evildoers. And we see that playing out in our real world today in the news and everything else. Today we will see three more examples Paul will encourage young Timothy, Pastor Timothy with, and to be faithful and continue to share Jesus and to stay the course teaching the word of God as we should as workers, we will see that in verse 15, as vessels that are of honor, verses 20 through 23, and we will see as servants Verses 24 through 26. We will continue to understand God's grace enables us to overcome our three great enemies. Three great enemies that Paul talks about here in chapter 2. We saw the first enemy that comes against us. We saw that in uh, verse 4, the world. That's the first enemy that comes against us as believers. The world will come against us. We also see Paul encourages but also warns Timothy that there's another enemy called the flesh. And we will see that in verses 22. And then the last one we will see the devil himself in verse 26 is also an enemy against God's people. God's grace enables us to also endure. It enables us to endure hardship we saw that in verses 3 and verse 10 of chapter 2. And as we fight the Lord's battles so that we do not deny the Lord, we saw that in verses 11 through 13 last week. Which brings us to the point now in the letter that Paul is emphasizing to young Timothy, Pastor Timothy in Ephesus, to pay attention Timothy, take and stay very focused, young man. Stay focused, pay attention to what is important, and it will impact your life and your ministry. 
And so we will see Paul's encouraging Timothy to not lose focus on what's important to his life in the ministry, because if he doesn't, it will cost him dearly and the ministry dearly and what God wants to do in and through his life. So here in verse 15 of 2 Timothy, he starts off or continues, I should say, in the letter by saying, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So he again brings Timothy right back to what's important as a pastor. That Paul often exhorted Timothy throughout the letters, exhorting him to courage, exhorting him to action. Because sometimes when the enemy is coming after you, that world or the flesh is raising up against you, or even the devil himself sending out his demonic forces against you, it can cause someone who is not ready for battle to draw back, to seclude, to run, to hide, to stop doing what God's called them to do. To stop being that witness, stop being the light, stop being the salt in this world. And what happens is Paul is having to encourage Timothy and to call him to action to stay focused, Timothy. I'm with you, I've got you, let's keep moving, man. Don't do it in your own strength, but do it in the strength that I have given you. I've empowered you with the Holy Spirit. Early in the chapter, chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul encouraged him to work hard and to, and to stay with the endurance that is needed for the service of the Lord. This is not a one-time little thing and then, oh, I'm, that's all I need to do for the Lord. No, this is endurance. It takes like an athlete to race. It takes endurance. It takes endurance as a farmer to continue to go through the season after season. And you're not even sure what's going to happen because it hasn't rained one bit and poured out any refreshment on you at all. And you're drying up and you see everything's drying. Is it going to bear fruit? And it goes over and over as Paul gives him the illustrations that we've seen so far. But we see that Timothy's goal was not to present himself approved to people. Paul says to present yourself approved to God. That is who you're to prove to. You're not out there to prove and be men or women pleasers. You're out there to be a person who is pleasing and presenting himself approved to, to God. So he has, is, is, is able to just bring glory to him of what you're doing in your service for him. He wasn't to regard the job of being a pastor as a popularity contest, but instead as a calling to faithfulness to God. That's what Paul's constantly telling Timothy. Timothy, stop trying to please the people. You're never going to please the people. They're finicky. They're emotional. They're unstable. They're immature and some are more, some are mature and some are other unmature. You stay focused on me, Timothy, doing what I've called you to do, and I will work through the people's hearts and lives as he needs to to raise that congregation up in a mature fashion that's faithful to God. Don't be swayed by the people. You're to be approved by me. Whatever I approve is good, not what the people approve. You're accountable to me, Timothy. That's what Paul's telling him. You're accountable to God and God alone. Timothy wasn't to worry so much about presenting other people approved to God, though there was a place for this in the pastoral ministry. His first concern had to be to present himself approved to God. To be able to have a solid foundation of God in your life as a pastor, you must understand that you are to please and get approval by God in everything you do in the ministry. To seek after him. Lord, does this please you? Is this pleasing to you in my life, Lord? If not, I will get rid of it. It doesn't matter what I want, how I feel. What's approval to you, God? Not only are you to be diligent, Timothy, not only are you to understand you're supposed to look for the approval of God, but you're to be a worker. That is the thing. You're to be like a worker who does not need to be ashamed of what he does. I called you to be this kind of worker for me. Why would you be ashamed of that in any form or fashion? This is what I called you to do. 
Why would you look down if people look down? Oh, you're just a pastor. Why would you even be ashamed of that? If you're, you won't be ashamed if, right here Paul says, if you're rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a key, that's a key focus here in this verse. And a key purpose of a pastor. Every day I study the word of God and rightly dividing the word of God and I seek the Lord in every aspect to make sure I do understand the word of God so that I can deliver that rightly to the people of the hearers of, the, of his people. That is what a pastor does. This was a, to be the focus of Timothy's hard work. Timothy, when you spend your time as a pastor, every day be in the word of God and work hard at it. Long hours, diligently going through verse by verse, word by word, chapter by chapter, whatever it takes for you to rightly understand what my scripture says. You had to know what it said and didn't say. You understand that. As a pastor, you have to understand the scripture of what it says and what it doesn't say. And how it was to be understood and how it was not to be understood. And it wasn't enough for Timothy to know some Bible stories. And it wasn't enough for us to know some key verses. And it wasn't something like a little party, little sprinkles that you, I sprinkle you every Sunday so that you feel good. And it's a little big, like a big party. An entertainment center. No, it wasn't about sprinkling you with some, some of the scripture. It was to rightly divide the word of God and tell you what the word of God says and doesn't say. It's very challenging to hear and to watch. And I know many of you have experienced over the years of going from church to church where you find you walk in and you're just getting a, the same Bible story, the same verse, same sprinkling that goes throughout the sermons as illustrations only. No, Timothy, you're going to rightly divide the word of God correctly and teach it to your congregation. That is what you're going to work hard at doing, Timothy. Now, rightly dividing... This also means that there is such a thing as wrongly dividing. If there's rightly dividing, the other side of that coin is wrongly dividing the word of God. Not everyone cuts it straight. And the Greek word for dividing means to cut straight. Like a surgeon must cut straight. A farmer must cut the land straight so the rows are straight. We must understand that biblical truth is not just an issue left up for anyone to determine. It's not left up to everyone's interpretation. There is a right way and a wrong way to understand the Bible. And a pastor especially must work hard at understanding and rightly, uh, rightly dividing and delivering that key truth to the people. We must work hard to master the right interpretation of the Bible. And there's so many, probably the best example that I've heard over the years of being in the ministry is many people love to say that they love to quote the Bible, and, 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 but they'll challenge you as a pastor. That's your interpretation. How many times I've heard, that's your interpretation. Their idea is that you interpret the Bible your way, I'll interpret the Bible my way, they interpret the Bible their way, and everyone is right. Let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, that is not right. So many times I've heard people, because of that position, they can say, well, no one can really know what it really means, so don't judge me with your Bible verse interpretation. 
It, great, it greatly saddens me when I find people in that position of immaturity as a Christian, if they are a Christian. Remember, the Bible does not mean just what anyone wants it to mean. There may be many people trying to twist the scripture to meet their agenda or meet their own desires how they want to live this life. And that greatly saddens me because they're being misled. They're wrongly dividing the word of truth. We can't just pick an interpretation that seems right in our own eyes that makes us comfortable to come to church and claim that it's true because you decided you want this or you don't want this. It's important that people understand that the scripture if you teach the scripture, it's straightforward. It's right in front of you. It's good. It's right. If you understand how to study the word of God. And to be under a pastor who understands and rightly divides the word of God. So it communicates so that it will have a, an effect on your life that will be so transforming and so gripping for you to have a deeper relationship with God. How many times people have come into this church with so many different perspectives that they find themselves just ravaged by legalism or liberalism in regards to the scripture. And it just saddens me because it takes time for them to work out years of bad, wrongly dividing teaching of the word of God to them. Every Christian or pastor especially must work hard to rightly divide the word of God. It's not just my responsibility, but you too are supposed to rightly divide the word of God as you study. But you must also understand there is no perfection in understanding God's word. It's impossible. But we should continue to endeavor, to be diligent, to continue to study and study and rightly divide the word of God. Everything will come to clarity once we're in heaven. <laughs> once we're in heaven, oh, we're, just, we're so limited in our understanding of God. Wait till we get to be with God in, in heaven. I, I can't, it's just amazing that we will be. Now we also find that if, Paul, if Timothy stays focused on doing what God's called him to do, we see here in verses 16 through 18 the price of not keeping the focus. Because there is a price if you don't stay focused on the ministry, Timothy. And that the faith of some will be overthrown because of the fact that you don't stay focused on the truth. We see here in verse 10, or verse 16, but shun profane and idle babblings. For they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. So we see here the second thing that Paul, uh, the, the next emphasis that Paul makes here is to Timothy is you must take a position to shun or to, to stop or do not partake or to listen to the profane and idle babblings that are coming from the people that you're ministering to. Because they're going to be increasing, and the more they increase these profane and idle babbles, it's going to lead to more ungodliness within the people. These, these profane, these vain babblings are referring to anything that takes the focus off the gospel and off the God's word. These babblings are profane. Because they're unholy in contrast to the word of God. But how many times we see that people are up there on these pulpits that are just babbling. They're not telling you anything except life stories and what they did over and 
in their life, personal life, and everyone else's personal life, and what's in the news. And, but let me reassure you, whatever's happening in the news, unless it's prophetic, it is a babble. It's vain. It doesn't produce anything except more ungodliness. You and I must be in the Word of God, and as we seek the Word of God, then we have a biblical lens to see what the world that we live in, and we can kind of sense biblically how God sees the things that are going on in the news. I watch and listen because I know I keep my eye on what's going on in Israel. Why? Because I know the prophecies. I know the Word of God. And when I see the things that are happening with Iran and Russia and Syria and Turkey and Israel and all there, I see it lining up in Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, and I rejoice because I know we're going home soon. But I will teach you that, but I'm not going to teach you outside of the scripture. It's going to be in context of the scripture. It's not going to be some sprinkle. Because man's opinions is a babbling. Man's teachings are a babble. Man's opinion polls are a babble. Man's stories or man's programs are all profane and vain babblings. Compared to the simple word of God. But when the message becomes and when your focus becomes more on the stuff than the word of God Watch out, my brother. Watch out, my sister. More ungodliness will rise up, and you don't want that in your life, nor do we want that within the congregation. I love our fellowship because the dominance of our fellowship of time, spending time with one another, is always about the Word of God and the things of God. And I am so blessed to just hear the conversations that are focused not on the babblings of this world, but on the things of God. It's very encouraging as a pastor. The message of profane and vain babblings may spread quickly, we see Paul says, by popularity. It's like a cancer that spreads. Cancer's never good, you know that. <laughs> it's never good. It destroys people's lives. And so Paul says, they are like a cancer that's spreading fast and captures in an audience. And we see that Paul was very clear and obviously very tense. He called out two men's names that are in the Bible forever of people who are, are guilty of of straying people away from the word of God and onto these profane and vain babblings. I'm telling you what, I would not want my name in the book of life calling me out of being guilty of that. By Hymenus and Philetus, we see that Hymenaeus was once named in the Bible once before, and that was in 1 Timothy 1.20. And remember what Paul said about him, even back then in the first letter? Paul delivered him to Satan that he may learn not to be blasphemed. <laughs> Philetus was never mentioned at all in the Bible except in this one place. So God takes it very serious. Of are we focused on the Word of God and talking about the Word of God and teaching the Word of God, Timothy? Yes, he's very serious, Timothy. Don't stray away and get onto the subjects of these other things that are happening and man's philosophies. Do not bring it into the church. Man's opinions and polls and man's ways. That's not what you do, Timothy. We also see that there are this, this, the, these two men are of the sort, meaning they're the ones quickly spreading and doing this kind of messaging within the church, and that cannot happen. 
And that will cause people to stray concerning the truth. It will cause people to walk away from the word of God. And I believe that is exactly what's happening in the churches today. You can go to a church today and not bring your Bible and never open the Bible. You never see anyone open the Bible at some of these churches. And that grieves me because my brothers are going to be held responsible as pastors to not be teaching the word of God. But they can memorize a little sprinkle and, re and repeat it over and over and over. It doesn't take much to, to rightly divide, taking sprinkling. But the people are not being fed. So what happens is the people stop getting an appetite for the truth and they start looking for the things of babblings that are vain and they don't even know it. They're used to cotton candy and not the meat of the, of the word of God. And so when you come here, many times people say, that's just too much. It's just really a whole 45 minutes to an hour's worth of teaching. I can't, that's a long time, don't you think? I'm used to getting out of church, doing everything within an hour. I'm not sure how I can fit that hour in, in the seven days as it is. But I'm always encouraging to you. You need to grow and you need to mature because you should be able to be in the word of God every day, spending as much time as you can because what greater priority in your life than spending time with God and hearing from God? There is nothing else more profitable than being in the word of God every day, spending time listening to hearing from God to direct your life. I'm not sure I'm hearing from God. Well, are you in the word of God? No, then you're not going to hear from God. That's how he speaks to you is by the reading of the word of God. So read it. Listen to it. I recommend 90s, you know, 6.9 FM. If you're just driving around, I'm telling you that the word of God can penetrate the ears to help you. You need to take it and digest it. And that is what Paul is saying to Timothy here. Because if you're not careful, it's going to be a cancer. It's going to spread. It's going to start straying and causing people to walk away from the truth of God. They won't even know what the truth of God is. And they can just make it up as they go. Whatever feels good. And they're going to live this Christian life. And then one of the key things that we see that Paul's calling these two guys out on is that they're teaching the people that the resurrection has already happened. That is happening today. Do you know that, my brothers and sisters? Do you know there's people out there teaching today that the resurrection has already happened? We are already in the kingdom. We're just trying to make this climate and this earth better and, and a better home. And if everyone loves everyone, it's going to be great. And no, you've been, you've been deceived if you believe that. The resurrection is going to happen and we're going to be raptured out of here and go to, to, to heaven to be with Jesus. Be ready, be prepared. This is not our home. But let me tell you something. If someone takes away and walks away from a key essential doctrine of the scripture, like the rapture, and says that's not going to happen. They are in error with many other things in the scriptures as well. They're just never going to be one. Because one leads to another and another. It's cancer. It starts killing off all the good cells. And you will walk away from the solid, essential, uh, godly doctrines of the scripture. That's why we have to be on guard and understanding the doctrines of, of the understanding God's word and rightly dividing it. That's why Paul's telling Timothy, you make sure you continue to rightly divide it because you cannot not do it. Because if you do, it'll be just like these two men. We're out there telling people the resurrection is not, you know, not going to happen. And that means they're going to teach other false information. They're false teachers, Timothy. You must stay focused. Why? Because it's going to overthrow, at the, very, at the end of verse 18, it will overthrow the faith of some. That is very scary. 
How many times I have heard people say, Pastor, I, 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 I like listening to him. He's really good. Even for the most part, he's a good teacher, and I like him teaching. I just chew on it. It's like I take meat, and I chew on it, and I spit out the bones. I just want the meat. Have you ever heard that? I just chew on the bones, eat, eat the meat, and spit out the bones. Like, I know I'm not supposed to eat the bones. I'll be gentle. I, I really will. I'll be gentle here. Do you know people can choke on bones? Do you know you can die choking on a bone? Why would you take any risk of eating something from someone who has the meat, but at the same time is giving you bones? You're, you're telling me that it's okay to listen to someone's teaching that's 95% accurate to the scripture, but 5% you can tell when they're not doctrinally sound. I just kind of, I just set that aside. I don't listen to that part. Why would, why would you do that? You know why? Because Paul says right here, it will overthrow the faith of some. Because if you listened to any false teaching on any key doctrine, it will cause a cancer to start growing. You think you can set it aside, but you'll start questioning other doctrines. It's only a matter of time. So I encourage you, once you realize someone is teaching falsely, no touchy. It's no good. It's just don't touchy. Find sound doctrine that can, is rightly dividing the word of God and it, and it helps you to grow as well in doing such. Because it's not good enough to say, well, some things that, no. Don't, don't, don't tolerate that. Then he continues in verse 19. If you do stay focused, Timothy, there's a reward that comes your way. He says, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands. Having this seal. What seal? The seal is the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So Paul says to Timothy, you want to have a solid foundation of God. Don't be building your life on some quicksand of understanding of the scripture. It needs to be solid, man. So you stand firm because the winds of doctrines are coming and going all the time through the church. All kinds of crazy stuff goes through the church. You stand solid, that solid foundation of God on what this rightly dividing the word of God. So don't move from that, Timothy. Why? Because you have a seal. What's that seal? It's revealed in two illustrations for us. It's inscripted. In, this seal has two inscriptions. Look at the first one. The Lord knows those who are his. The message. The message has to be and understand you must, regardless of the cancer that is going through the place and what people, these false teachers are doing, you stay solid, a foundation on God's word and don't move from it, Timothy. Because you must understand the Lord knows those who are his. I want you to encourage you, Timothy. If profane and vain babble starts sweeping through, the church, like a cancer, you have to understand that the Lord knows those who are His. And if the faith of some is overthrown, the Lord knows those who are His. We don't always know. I don't always know those who are His. You freely come in here. You can freely go. You have... I don't know if you're saved or you're not saved. But God does. And that's all that matters. As we see and look, those who are there, we know of ourselves if we're saved or not. 
You should know that without a doubt. We know that because of Romans 8, 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are a child of God. So when someone says, I don't know if I'm saved or not, then more than likely you need to really seek after God and surrender all because by your spirit of the, of the Spirit of God that lives within you is confirming to you that you're a child of God. And if he's not confirming that, then I would err on the side that you're not a child of God and you need to, by faith, surrender your life completely to God. So that you have that assurity of the Spirit of God that comes in and seals you for eternity. That's the first illustration that is on that seal that Paul talks about. The second one is this, is this, let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So the second inscription of this seal says, to have this solid foundation of God, you have truly have to understand that you know you're a child of God and that you are willing to stop the sin that's in your life. You will take that time as a, as a child of God then that you claim the name of Christ and depart from all iniquity. You have no longer want to live in the sin that you were living in. You no longer say, I'm okay enough. I want to be completely transformed by the reading of the word of God. Is that your desire? Because that is what Paul is saying here. Some might say, I belong to the Lord. I know him. I know who Jesus is. I'm going to heaven. So it doesn't matter how I live my life. You're in deep trouble, my brother or sister, if that's what you're thinking. If you're thinking that, then you have lost and misunderstand. You don't know the scripture, and I hope you do after today, that no... It's not enough to say, I am a child of God. You have to understand you're a child of God and you must depart from all iniquity. You must. It's extremely important that you understand what the scripture says. If someone does not have the desire or actions to depart from iniquity, it is fair to ask if they really belong to Jesus. If they are just deceiving themselves, you've been deceived. And you have to understand the solid foundation of God is not changing. The solid foundation, the truth of God is not going to change for you. It's not going to make an exception for you and me. It's solid. We can keep our focus on the truths of God because it's solid. The world's always changing. Your fleshly desires are always changing. The devil will always come in to try to figure out a way to, to come after you and change the situations of your life. But the solid foundation of God and his truth, the word of God, is solid. It's never going to change. That's why we can build our life upon it. We see in verse 20 and 21, living our life and being used by God is so important as we grow and mature in our life with Christ. We see there Paul says we're to be vessels. What kind of vessels? Well, we're going to see there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. And we see in verse 20, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. So we see Paul says here, just as a picture of God's building, that solid foundation you're building your life on, understand there's a crossroads you're going to make in your life. Do you want to be a vessel used, not only a worker, that is used and do, doing what God's called you to do, Timothy, but you can be a vessel, a vessel of honor, a vessel of dishonor. What's the difference? Well, he's going to say here that this, this foundation you're building or your life 
is a great house that we're building our lives upon. And in that house, there's a variety of vessels that you can find. There's bowls, there's plates, there's vases, there's all sorts of kinds of vessels within that great house. And the church of God is indeed a great house, is it not? Why? Because the great house is because who built that house? Jesus built the house. That's why it's great. The great house because it's planned and designed by the great architect. The perfect uh, builder. Designer. That's why it's a great house. It's a great house because it has a great cost. It took to build it and built by a great work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Building the house cost everything. But also the great house is because it's important. The house and what happens in that house, and which is the center of God's plan of all ages, must be understand it's very and it's even more important than anything that the trivial things that the world has to offer. So once you understand you're a, a great house that God has built and we're vessels within that house, we have to understand... Are we vessels in that great house, uh, vessels of honor or vessels of dishonor? Some of these vessels we are made of gold and silver. Some are made of wood and clay, that Paul says. Some are used on occasion for great honor. That's the gold and silver vessels. And some are used for dishonor, such as a garbage can, an ashtray. Or a chew spit platoon. Those are vessels of dishonor. But once you understand, as we see Paul says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, from the the unclean, the dishonoring type of vessel, there has to be a cleansing to take place to make it a vessel of honor and of good use. Paul speaks very clearly here, if anyone cleanses himself. What does Paul mean by that? Paul's telling Timothy, cleansing isn't just something God does for us as we sit passively. But this is a self-cleansing for service for God's purpose. It goes beyond the general cleansing or cleaning. It goes to the, right to the core of who you are and the things that are in your life. And if there's sin in your life, it's got to be removed. So that you become a vessel of honor. A vessel of use. And it calls you to a point in your life where you says, I want to be used by the master for his use. I want to have a closeness to God that I've never had before. You know, my, one of my favorite verses out of 1 John. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Paul is telling Timothy right there. Timothy, make sure your people, and make sure you especially, Timothy, you are a vessel of honor for God, and prepared for great use for God. Don't allow anything in your life, Timothy, that would hinder you to being a vessel that could be used by God. And it's not just God's work in your life. He saved you. But you and I must actively, daily make sure we are accountable to what is happening and what we bring into our life. And you've got to get out anything that is not approved by God. And that's why the word of God is like a surgeon 
that will just take a scalpel and cuts right straight to the core to get that cancer out. And if you're not rightly dividing the word of God, you're not listening to a rightly divided uh, word in the teaching from the pastor, the cancer will not be removed. That's like saying, I don't need the word of God. I'm fine. I'm, I'm doing good. As long as I know him, me and the man up in the, in the sky, you know, we got it all together. We got it all worked out. Oh, the things I've heard. You're like a surgeon without a scalpel. How good are, how, what good is a surgeon without a scalpel? So Paul is really honing in on the fact that you must be cleansed. You must, he uses the word sanctified there in those verses to means to be set apart. There are things that you have, vessels that are set apart for God's use for special occasions. Like fine china on Thanksgiving Day. You only bring it out once a year on Thanksgiving and you bring out the fine china because it's just a day of honoring of just so thankful for what God has done in and through your life and providing for you. And then there's other vessels that are used for other occasions. And they're special, But there are sometimes people's lives have vessels that they use that you just keep spitting in. And it causes cancer. We must be set apart. He's prepared for every good work, he's, Paul says. God is sanctified, is going to use you, and he's going to prepare you to do exactly what God wants you to do in this life that he's given you. Do you believe it? Are you going to trust him with all your heart and mind, soul, and strength around that? And when you do that, he's going to prepare for you that good work that he has for you. We must not think of being usable primarily in the sense of serving only in the church. But remember, this is where we get fed, we get equipped, we get encouraged, we get bandaged up. It's a hospital for some because you're, you're bleeding out and your cancer is overcoming you, but you come here so that it rightly divides, can cut you right to the core and cut it out. So that now, then you be mended and healed and you go back out and be in the service of God wherever he plants you to do whatever he wants you to do for that moment. You've been around as long as I have, and some of you have, and if not longer, you know you've never been in the same workplace your whole life. Doing the exact same thing your whole life. Because God, as a believer, God has used you in different places in this society so that you can do the work of God. And that is sharing the gospel and encouraging those in the faith with the word of God. And wherever he takes you, it's good, it's right, because he's directing your life. Then we see here in verse 22, how do you cleanse yourself, you ask? I'm glad you asked, because T Paul tells Timothy, if he had that question, tell him, well, okay, Paul, how do I cleanse myself, or how do I tell people to cleanse themselves, if you say that they need to cleanse themselves to be used by you as the great master? Well, he tells right here, Flee also from youthful lust. <laughs> the very first thing to cleanse yourself is the number one thing Paul's telling you that everyone has a challenge with, and that is your youthful lust. You have, we all have lust problems if we don't deal with them. And how do you deal with it? But pursue righteousness. You want to deal with your, your youthful lust problem? You must focus on pursuing righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who are called on the Lord out of a pure heart. And in verse 23, but avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So two key things that he says to you, you must cut off. Stop it. You can't live by the feelings of your lustful, your youthful lust. That can no longer control your mind. You need to bring those thoughts under captivity. 
Because if you don't, Timothy, what's going to happen is it's going to destroy you and you will not be able to be used by God. We hear in the scripture all the time to put off and then to put on. And Paul's very clear what you're supposed to. If I'm not going to be thinking about youthful lusts and all the things that are encapsulated with all of that. The command is to flee from it. You're not supposed to even think about it, let alone take time to do it, because these, these, these prominent things of a youthful lust play out in that young adult world, this adolescent or young adult world, which is sexual temptation and illicit pleasures of the flesh and the longing for attention and glory to the flesh. That is a mark of someone who's living after youthful lusts. But Paul says he commands you must flee from it. Don't entertain them. Don't accept any of it in your minds. Don't, be, don't even challenge it. Don't challenge that lust. You're lusting after alcohol and drunkenness and all that stuff to help you. Don't entertain it. Don't go, I'm going to go to the, I'm going to the bar to witness to people. Don't be fooled. You're supposed to flee from that, that lust. Get off the internet. Get out of those conversations and in, in, in sexual jokes at work. Get away from it. Get, bring those thoughts under control. Because if you don't, you don't even try to challenge it. Don't try and, and even endure it. Just get away. Flee from it. Because I assure you, if you stay around it, even the slightest, even the slightest moment, it will overcome you. And you'll fall back into sin. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace. These are good things to pursue. To be cleansed, we must do everything we can do to to be right in our personal relationship with others, in our relationship with God. What's approving to God? He, it matters what you think. It matters what you say. It matters what you do. These things matter to God. Most people don't even see why they're not growing and maturing in their walk with God and they're frustrated and, and just things are not going right. And they still know that God keeps convicting them of these things but they're not willing to let go of those things Romans 12 18 if it is possible as much as depends on you live peaceably with all men because not only lustful youthful lust dominate can cause your problems but you can have problems with your relationships with other people you're always arguing always debating always trying to prove who's right and who's wrong? That must go from our life. You must. I know, I know, you're always right, I know. But that pride has got to go. Because that will hinder you from being a vessel that can be used by God. Bad relationships really hinder our service to the Lord. And we must do what we can to set things right with those as best you can if they're willing to do it. Walking clean also means staying clear of endless disputes and arguments. And I'll leave it with that on those verses. Because some people say, I don't argue. I don't dispute. What are you talking about? <laughs> if I could just record you. <laughs> you, are, you're, you never do it at church because you got your, your Sunday's best on. But let me go home among with your, your spouse or with your kids or <laughs> at work. <laughs> oh, if I could only record you. Verse 24. So what kind of servant do you want to be? Paul says to Timothy, you need to be a gentle servant. Look what he says here. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, 
but be gentle to all. Able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. So we see here in verses 24 through 25, another enemy, the devil. We also see that how Timothy is supposed to be as a servant to those that God brings under his care, under his shepherdness of shepherding them in that uh, congregation. He is supposed to be a servant of the Lord. One of the characteristics or qualities or qualifications of a pastor is his someone who is not a quarrelsome type person. They're gentle. Not only are they gentle, they're able to teach the word of God. If you're supposed to rightly divide the word of God, you're supposed to know the word of God, then you also have to be able to teach to be a pastor. But you also have to be patient. You know why you have to be patient? Because not everyone is in the same place. They, some may come in here, they don't even know. They haven't given their life to Christ. You must be patient with them. Show them grace. Lead them to Christ. Some are just God saved. They have no idea. They haven't even opened a Bible before. Show patience. Show grace. They're just starting their journey. The ones you really test the patience of a pastor are the ones who say they know the word of God and they've been born again and saved for 20, 30, 40 years. They're the ones that take more patience of a pastor because some get to a point where they think they've been doing it for so long, going to church their whole life. First of all, it doesn't make you saved. You, You do know that, right? But even if you are saved, it doesn't mean you're mature. You've just got a routine down. You're a person of habit going to church every Sunday. That's what we've always done. No, no. I'm saying what takes patience for a pastor is to show grace that they come to the realization at 20, 30 years of walking with the Lord that they really don't know how to rightly divide the word of God and that they've never really heard verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by chapter. They haven't heard the, the whole counsel of God before. And all of a sudden, things start clicking. And like, wow, this is, I was really legalistic. I was really liberal on my understanding. And all of a sudden, but by God's grace, just kind of holds them and just brings them along and says, it's okay. And that's what a pastor's supposed to do patiently. It's okay. Let's, let's move forward. Forget the past. Let's move forward in your relationship with God and fall in love with him even a deeper way as God reveals his truth to you in a clearer way. But not only is he supposed to be able to be gentle and teach and be patient, but he's supposed to be humble because you're going to come across Timothy people in the church that need to be, you're humbly just correcting them because they are coming, things are coming out of their mouth, their actions do not line up with the word of God. So be patient, but also humbly Show them what the word of God says because you must correct. This, is, this job, this position, this whatever you want to call it, this, this calling that God has called on a person's life called a pastor has a responsibility to sit there and has to be confrontational sometimes by gently, humbly coming and saying, do you realize what you're saying is not biblical? And here's why. That's not easy. But it's required. It's, it is, it is, is something I have to do. That's what God's called me to do. And you have to do it humbly because Paul's saying to Timothy, and I know as a pastor, that could be me. I could fall into those same traps if I'm not careful. I could fall into those wrong teachings if I'm not careful. So that's why he humbly comes along and corrects because he understands how delicate the situation is correcting someone who's going against the word of God. 
And look at that interesting in verse 25, but when he says humility, uh, 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 in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, their opposition against the word of God. He says, if God, if God, <laughs> the key words, if God perhaps will grant them repentance. To me, what that means is he says he's showing grace to them for their opposition against his truth. So that they may know the truth. That they will come out of that false teaching and come around to clarity of what God is truly saying in his word. And it's only perhaps that God would grant that grace and grant that uh, the revelation and insight of his word to bring clarity to their opposition that they were doing. That they were, in verse 26, come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil because the devil loves to watch and try to snare you in a trap of false teaching. Do you know that? Do you know that? That's exactly what the devil tries to do, or his demonic forces, is constantly trying to feed into your mind things that are in opposition against the word of God. Are you clicking with me? Are you, can you think some of the practical things that are happening today that are going into the minds of believers, your brothers and sisters, and t in misleading them and drawing them away from the truths of God? You've, you've met your brothers and sisters, haven't you? That says, I'm okay with homosexuality. I'm okay with same-sex marriage. I'm okay with abortion. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. I'm okay. I'm going to be a pastor who's gentle with you today. I'm trying. I, I, I'm trying to grow and mature in that area of being gentle. If you think it's okay because you have this, this, this political mindset how politicians talk that says oh I would never do that but it's okay for them to do that is wrong thinking it, you cannot condone the scripture warns us you cannot look at someone's life and say I'm okay that they do that that sin that they're living it's their, it's their life it's I'm okay with that do you know that's going against the scripture, that mindset? It, it is. And knowing someone who says they're a Christian and they're okay with people living and going and living a life that it goes against the word of God. Do you understand that they're ensnared and entrapped by the devil. And Paul says they've been taken captive by him to do his will. I don't know about you, but as a Christian, I want to do nothing. I want to have nothing to do with the devil. I don't spend time thinking of him. I don't spend time researching him, understanding him. I don't want nothing to do with him. As I read the word of God and that comes across, then I, I, I ponder on it and I understand it. But I don't sit there and look at uh, demonic forces and what's going on out there. I know the trickeries and the, and the deceiving things that the devil does. I just keep my eyes so focused on Jesus. And my path is so lit. I want it so lit every day that I won't stray off in any form or fashion. I have security in that. <laughs> I'm in security of that. I don't worry about these things of the world. I don't worry about the things of my flesh, and I don't worry about the things of the devil. These are three enemies that come against us. Paul says in the chapter 2, I do not, I recognize what they are, but I stay focused on him so that I have no desires for the things of the enemy has to deliver me or try to feed me. I just don't do it. I fight it. I flee from it. I avoid it. 
I shine light on it to bring it to light so no, I can't deceive myself. I do that because I do not want to be unapproved by my God. I don't want to be at a risk of getting something in my head that I would turn around and teach you that would go contrary to the word of God. Why? Because I would, I'm going to have harsher judgment on my life. When I get in front of God, the day of judgment, I'm going to be judged more harshly because of the calling that God has put me in as a pastor. I don't want to stand in front of God and be ashamed of anything. And that's why I, I teach you the same thing. I want you to stay so focused to be a servant of the Lord, a vessel honored for him. We must empty, we must clean, and be available to whatever God wants you to do for him. And if we refuse to empty ourselves, if we refuse to clean ourselves, if we refuse to make ourselves available to the Lord, we will find ourselves captive by the world. You'll be captive by the lustful uh, flesh of yours, and you will be captivated by the devil. Thus is exactly what's going to happen. It's not a question, not me, that would never happen to me. I'm telling you, that pride is going to bring you down if you have that kind of attitude. I'm just telling you what the scripture tells you and I've watched life after life after life start well but then crash and burn may we choose today to stand solid on the solid foundation of God 